0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are here with a very special guest, Chris Meyer from the Baton Rouge Area Foundation. We're going to be talking education, reform, and then also all things Baton Rouge and how he got to the position he's in, his past life of extremely wonderful accomplishments and everything that led up to this moment of where he is now. Before we get to that, go. want to give a big, wonderful shout-out. And thank you to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week, Building 5, Mimosa handcrafted jewelry, Falia Real Estate, Currency Bank, the bank for business owners, Lakeman's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Gauge, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and you know our outfit of the day is always brought to you by McClavey Limited. Without further ado, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Good to be here, man. I'm glad to have you on, man. How are you? Been, how are you doing? How are you been?
1: I'm good. I'm good. This feels a little like deja vu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a little a little deja vu-y. So we'll 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 spill the tea. I'll own up to it. So for those, this is our second time recording with our wonderful Chris. We loved him so much that we had to get him back in the chair. But in reality, as business owners, we know there are unforeseen circumstances that occur. We had a data loss and Chris was unfortunately one of those but we just told Chris uh he had to redo it and we've got scripts for him now that's so <laughs> he's covering for me yeah yeah you're very you? kind so move on to next slide <laughs> okay <Exactly. laughs>
1: so how are you man who are you i'm good i'm good uh i mean it's exciting to be here and uh you know huge fan of what you're doing and promoting this community and entrepreneurs and and people that are trying to make a difference and um you know that's something that every day I'm, I'm excited to be part of a community that you know we're striving to be something better than our, our current version
0: yeah those that have a desire to be one percent better each and every day is yeah. kind of that's what I try to do you know at least be one percent better but for those people that are making an impact you're definitely up there so who are you for those that aren't aware and what the heck do you do
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm a father, husband, Louisiana native. I grew up in in Shreveport, Um, was the, the first in my family to go to college, which really shaped my entire life, uh, because I got a really incredible opportunity uh, to go to one of the best high schools in Louisiana. And I was pushed by a middle school teacher that um, was sort of looking out for me and and saw some potential and, you know, gave me this kind of opportunity that as I look back now, you know, decades later, it's amazing how these kind of little events in our lives can have so much Uh, impact on our future and kind of where we are and so everything about that experience growing up in my hometown and um, having that really sort of fueled my entire life path where I decided to you know get involved in in kind of education reform because I wanted to give back and I wanted other kids to kind of have the same experience I had and really not be defined by kind of their zip code or how much their family made or that sort of thing so um, and, and, you know, today it's led me to this place where I get to get up every day uh, and and help lead the, the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, uh, which is just an incredible community institution. And, you know, my job is really to make sure we're growing more opportunity in Baton Rouge so that the next generation, uh, you know, your kids, my kids, find this place better off because we were doing the 1% thing better every single day.
0: Yeah, and it's even figuring out where that 1% needs to be. Because yep. some days it's not, you can't really, you know, trying to get batters better 1% across the board every single day is extremely challenging. But focusing on a certain area and saying, we can actually tangibly get a little bit better here. And then, all right, now let's focus here. You kind of have to play zone. You can't really do, you know, man-to-man all the time because there's other things that need help. But for you being a first-generation college graduate and college were you first generation college attendee as well yeah okay what was that I mean I know in high school it was kind of you started getting that push from a you know a mentor at the time but when that conversation was initially had with your parents what how do they receive it how do they take it
1: yeah I I don't well I'll go back to the time when they we were deciding about where I'd go to high school so you know all my sort of neighborhood friends everyone was zoned for a, a big high school in in Shreveport that was kind of this um you know Mecca of sports and, you know, everything under the sun uh, wasn't a great kind of, you know, necessarily academic school, but it's just where you went. It was kind of the next step in the path. And I remember, you know, my dad sort of saying to me, he's like, well, if, if you go to this magnet school, it was Caddo Magnet High. It was like, they don't have sports. They have fencing and soccer and lacrosse. And I was like, well, dad, some of those are sports. <laughs> He's like, they don't have sports. <laughs> so, um,
0: I love it. It's like, but they're Olympic. So then are they <laughs> Olympic games? How do you classify? I mean, all those are in the <laughs> Olympics, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, they but they're games,
0: not sports. Well, you know? <laughs> and they didn't
1: have, you know, BMX bike riding or any of that yet, but like, yeah. And, and so that was really the kind of moment they were like, I mean, kind of whatever you want to do. And, uh, again, my parents are awesome. They gave me such a great, you know, moral foundation. Um, my mom, you know, took us to church every Sunday, and and they were so supportive. You know, taught me the values about looking out for our neighbors and and certainly treating people better than um, uh, you know you were treated. Like right, that like you got to leave things better than you find it. But um, when it came to this, you know, it really uh, I'm just grateful they sort of left it in my hands. And again, I just kept that teacher just kind of kept saying like you can do this like this is a challenge like you need to rise to um and and that really motivates and and he was also our football coach so maybe there was a subliminal like yeah you're gonna do better over here um but that was probably you know kind of that moment that and once i got to that kind of high school you know i think my parents recognized i was i was sort of in a different spot uh right because at the high school i went to everyone was talking about college Uh, you know, from college t-shirts to uh, sort of pennants on the wall. uh, Teachers were sort of constantly pushing us to take more AP classes, get our resumes ready. Like it was this real focus on like, this is not the end. Mm -hmm. This is just the beginning uh, of trying to open a world of opportunities. And so uh, I think at that point, um, you know, my parents were were fully supportive of whatever, but um, you know, their, their counsel was really do, do what makes you happy. Right. We're going to, we're going to support it. And, and, you know, I also knew like the reality is like financially what they were and weren't going to be able to do for me. And, you know, my, ultimately my kind of college choice came down to getting a full, a full ride at Tulane, uh, which again was incredibly life-changing for a kid coming from North Louisiana. Although the other day, somebody told me I need to start calling it upstate Louisiana.
0: Upstate.
1: It just sounds, they were like, you know, when you hear upstate New York or upstate, like, New Hampshire, it just sounds more romantic. Kind of like the, you know, the the vest you've got, right? It just feels very like, oh, like autumn leaves and picking apples. But upstate Louisiana doesn't maybe have the same ring.
2: Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s 30s and 40s way far in the distance not visible or even a concern but as you turn 50 something happens retirement suddenly seems like something real something not too far away in your 50s you are rolling down the runway retirement is getting closer and closer faster and faster weeks and months zipping by but are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s.
0: I mean, so how do we... So as part of Baton Rouge Area Foundation, how do you pitch that to the city, yeah, to the state of calling everybody north, you know? And then where's the line, right? So what city, what parish, what count? I mean, what what parish or what town is the line of upstate Louisiana?
1: I mean, well, if you live in New Orleans, it's basically Metairie, right? Well, of course. And then if you live in, you know, if (laughs) if you
0: live there in Metairie, it's like you're really not in either or,
1: you know. Yeah, I, I. Well, look, I mean, people down here say I'm from East Texas, so, that, like,
0: <laughs> I know. whatever. It's, it's like, it's 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 so far away. I mean, that's that drive from Baton Rouge to Shreveport is so far away.
1: Oh, it might as well be, you know, a million miles. We yeah. just, the big, the vast, you know, emptiness, and then you, and then you had Alexandria, which there's probably a whole show we could do in Alexandria. I right. Went, some interesting experiences there, but let's park that.
0: But, so then, if, if so, if Shreveport, if Shreveport becomes upstate Louisiana. Yeah. Do we drop the alligator as the mascot? Because you know, when you think of Louisiana, it's like alligator swamps. So then it's like, okay, well, that's really South Louisiana. Upstate Louisiana, what do you, what's y'all's claim to fame there?
1: Well, I think upstate's probably just gonna gonna migrate and annex into Texas at some point. So,
0: you um, <laughs> so you also wearing cowboy hats? And, oh,
1: they already do. I mean, growing up, they you know, growing up, they wouldn't show Saints games on television. So my, my father, uh, he was the youngest of uh, four boys and his next oldest brother is this like diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. And I think my, my father growing up was like, I'm just anti the Cowboys. Right. So he became a Saints fan. And... He has loved the Saints his entire life, and so when we were up there on Sundays after church, we'd come home at these big family meals, and we'd have to go out into his garage and turn on the radio. He'd be working, you know, tinkering on cars and crafts. This my dad did a lot; uh, still sort of does. We um, we'd listen to the games on the radio, so that's how I grew up knowing the Saints was really through that. And then after, of course, like the Super Bowl, when all the bandwagon fans up in the Arklatex now show right. Saints, they may be back to Cowboys now. I don't know. Fair weather, but I mean, but you're,
0: but your dad, he's a diehard fan. he's oh, he's, he's, he's not a bandwagon fan. He's been there since forever. Oh, from the
1: beginning, right? From right. the beginning, yeah.
0: Okay, so then you you kind of leap from north upstate Louisiana. We're just gonna roll with this. <laughs> you leap from upstate Louisiana. <laughs> I'm not saying we
1: should. I'm just saying that somebody suggested. <laughs> my my barber was like, "Look, you gotta like." Doesn't that just sound more
0: romantic? I was like, "Sure, let's go with that. Let's just see how it feels." It it does, but then like. So then I beg the question, it's like, well, do we really qualify to have an upstate mm. within our own state? It's like, or we all just kind of see see ourselves as this, you know, this, this melting pot, this gumbo pot of citizens. Well, that and I thought you were also going to go, I mean, we're also
1: losing a lot of land. We need to talk about that, like.
0: Well, this is true. Where's it
1: going to be? So I'm, I'm,
0: you South, know, there's a lot of- South Louisiana questions. slowly creeping up. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's right. So then you, you come on down to the big city that's of right. New Orleans, that's Louisiana. Right.
1: Yeah, Sin City, right? Yeah. Uh, my great-grandmother and grandmothers prayed for me daily, uh, which I'm very grateful for. So uh, they,
0: like, just because you were going to New Orleans?
1: Oh, yeah. And they would tell me that. All the time, they wow. they had they had prayer groups, um, which is great. I mean, again, like uh, quite seriously,
0: like right, it, it got you to where you are today. God so you know, No complaints and, there,
1: and you know, uh, but they were so worried because New Orleans felt so far and so mm. foreign. And you know, again, for me, it it did feel like I I might as well have been you know across the country, right? But but it was close enough that you know I knew if something happened like, you know, families back there and I could, I could, you know, get a lifeline back or whatever. Um, So, uh, but, but, you know, New Orleans was great. And from a a kid coming from the Bible Belt, ending up in New Orleans as a sort of freshman at at Tulane. I mean, that was uh, a very fun experience.
0: A little bit of a culture shock, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it began to open my eyes to kind of a bigger world. And, you know, and really like what was so cool about Tulane and it still is to this day, is it's a very national and international university. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think you have like 20, 25% of its uh, student population comes from the Northeast. Um, So there's there's a sort of tie of like people that you're around. My freshman roommate was from Seattle. And again, like for a kid, I'd only traveled out of the country once, um, you know, growing up. And so that sort of experience, you know, of coming... To a place that now I'm meeting people from literally all over the world. Like again, just like going to the high school, went to, my eyes, my mind, like gets a little bit wider on like, what's going on, what's happening, what are the possibilities, and so, loved you know Tulane, um, but but you know being there, it's really this sort of microcosm and and almost isolated because what I began to discover about New Orleans and and what's so both beautiful and tragic about that city. Is Again, you can be in a, a, you know, internationally acclaimed institution, some of the most beautiful land and architecture anywhere in the world, and you go two blocks in any direction and you're confronted with, I think, all the sort of shortcomings of, you know, our country or, or where we've, you know, still not made enough progress as a people, right? So, and and specifically for me, it was seeing and volunteering in schools um, we did after school tutoring at, at some neighboring public schools. And uh, I'd worked with the, the diocese when they were thinking about uh, a sort of major voucher program where they were going to have kids potentially, you know, being able to be afforded the chance to go to private Catholic schools. And so I toured all these different like schools in New Orleans. And again, you'd go from these like, you know, beautiful, well-kept, orderly, functioning, um, you know, kind of Catholic schools, uh, parochial schools, maybe even magnet schools. And then you'd go to some of these neighborhood schools in New Orleans run by the Orleans Parish School Board. And you are like, wait, like one of these is not like the other, you know, like <laughs> yeah. what? what, what why, here. why are these like working? Why are these, you know, doing having experiences like I did? You know, in, in my high school where I'm being pushed and being challenged, people are really focused, you feel safe, you feel welcomed, right? And then you go into these other schools and and you actually are quite kind of terrified, right? There's um, teachers don't feel in control. Kids are kind of around aimlessly. There's just random people coming in and off campus. Like it doesn't feel like the mission of this institution is about learning and achievement. It's it's just kind of going along and you could see even physically the kind of decay of those buildings right so everything about them did not signal to an like entering student like hey this is a place of like better learning better opportunity this can give you a way up and and that just really struck me you know again these kind of moments in your life as i was you know getting ready to leave tulane i was thinking about the next steps and i was kind of fixated and like going to law school um and then i was just like you know i i'm trying to wrap my head around what is actually happening two blocks from one of the greatest places of learning in the world. And I've got to dig in more because something's not adding up here. And and again, from my own experience growing up, you know, I knew about maybe different opportunities that were, were happening, but I wanted to experience it there in New Orleans.
0: Yeah. And so seeing the the neighboring schools and the neighboring parishes, it kind of gave you this sense of urgency that can't really Leave it like this. You know, because if again you were pushed to be that better person, you've got more in you, and now you're seeing that, well, somebody did that for me, but nobody's really here doing that for some of these folks. So we gotta we have a problem we gotta resolve here.
1: Yeah, and, and as a city, right, it was very structural. Because as as a city in New Orleans, again, if you were if you were affluent, if you were sort of in the know. You know, and even families that weren't affluent, but their families were really just scraping together, you were able to access this kind of alternative school system. You were able to get into a Newman or Ben Franklin, you know, or a Dominican, and and so people just so interesting and curious that like we've established over a hundred years ago public education in America, yet in this. You know what what really is one of the worldwide renowned cities you've got a good chunk of that population that is actively trying to leave that system of public education why is that and and for those who aren't leaving why aren't they and a lot of times because they can't you know they either aren't in the know or they don't have the means or Can't kind of get life together to like make those decisions and so it really felt like we were running, you know It was a tale of two cities and 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 that's not, you know, as we'll fast-forward later Like it's it's not different than what I found when I arrived in Baton Rouge years later uh, Or frankly in many communities across America and so structurally Why were we allowing this to go on as just citizens and neighbors? uh, civic leaders what gives
0: yeah why has it always why is the status quo the status quo how yeah. did it get here and where did somebody say meh yeah it's okay yeah it's good enough we're we're getting along we're meeting the bare minimum of standards we've been assigned so why why push right you now right This episode is proudly presented by Gage. Gage is a local company here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. For over 40 years, Gage has provided businesses with the very best telecommunications, IT, and standby power services available. Gage has a variety of services, including Gage Cloud Voice. It is the last phone system your business will ever need. You need to give your business the ability to be accessible anytime, anywhere, and with Gage's cloud-based phone system, you'll be able to accomplish just that. Not only do they have Gage Cloud Voice, they have fully managed IT services that are proactive network monitoring, 24-7, 365 help desk business contact. Continuity, they are there for you. What you're also going to need is some cybersecurity. Gage is there to safeguard your business from potential cyber threats, even when you aren't aware they exist. Gage also is power and leaders in standby generators. They are the number one Cummins dealer on the Gulf Coast and provide generators to homes and businesses of any size so you can keep life going. Gage, better connected, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show so then you you kind of come go through this whole two-lane career you graduate and you're trying to do something new what's the next move for you from there
1: yeah so a I, I, um, kind of right place right time uh i hear about this organization called teach for america uh which uh, takes um then mainly recent college grads but um now they they take all sorts of folks they have a great kind of program with veterans and and whatnot but um basically the idea was um, you know, go and take your talents and commit to teaching at least for two years in some of the most challenging environments in the country, places that, you know, you're, you're not going to get necessarily, um, you know, uh, the, the type of sort of college graduate, the type of sort of teaching candidate uh, that you could get. Like, you're going to go to schools that others are trying to put on their list. Like, I don't want to go there. We actively want to go to those schools. And... You know, it's both about like making a real difference and, and committing to those kids, and and then also I think understanding kind of what what's the nature of this problem, in a in a very micro kind of experience. And you know, I knew as as I kind of heard about that opportunity, I was like, look, if, if this is going to be real, I, I want to stay here, right? Because again, I I had sort of lived in one bubble at Tulane, but I knew what was going on around me kind of intellectually, and I I wanted to sort of understand with, you know an on-the-ground perspective, and I just felt like, you know, the, the city of New Orleans is just such a transformational place for me in my life, I wanted to give back. And and so I uh, became a high school uh, history teacher. Um, I coached basketball. This is a John McDonough High School, uh, which was at Esplanade and Broad, so the John Mack. Um, <laughs> incredible school. Uh, and, it's, and it's just position in the community. I mean, people knew what that name was. Um, Yet when I arrived, it was the lowest performing school, high school in Louisiana, which probably means it was one of the lowest performing schools in America on a 200 point school performance score scale. Right. We were sub 20. Sub 20. Sub 20. Sub 20. So we're below 10 percent. You have to try like like to be that like you almost like have to actively try and like like. What do you so like? What are the parameters they're measured on? It's basically test scores and graduation rates. Okay. Um, so you know how how do students perform on these end of year exams uh, to sort of show what you know, and then and then how many of the kids that show up in ninth grade actually graduate? And we were losing far more students than we were ever graduating. I mean, we had a dropout rate that was north of fifty percent, um, which again feels criminal.
0: It does. Yeah.
1: Criminal. And, and again, we get into like spillover effects. You start, you know, losing at, and it wasn't just John McDonough, right? I mean, you go through a lot of sort of the neighborhood, traditional uh, non-magnet kind of public schools in New Orleans. And it was not uncommon, especially at the high school level to see dropout rates of 40, 50, 60%. And so you were, you were, you know, more likely to fail and to be out and to not have any skills you know, and, and really no kind of meaningful opportunities in front of you. Um, Your challenges in your own neighborhoods are immense. And so you're going out into this world without the skills and low opportunity neighborhoods. What do you think is going to happen? Like it just starts to fuel the continued cycle of generational poverty of crime of, you know, poor economic outcomes. And so we just kind of like had this like flywheel moving, but not in the positive way and, and, you know, John Mack, you know, I quickly understood, like, some of the structural challenges that were holding it back. I had four principals in my first year, um, which, again, that's right. First year? Yeah. Four principals so, in my first year.
0: So they but, made it one semester, barely.
1: Yeah. I mean, my, my first principal, when I was hired, because I was assigned to the school. Right. That's how most teachers were placed. So, you know, think of this, like, you are a, if you were a principal of a school and you have no control over who works in your building. You don't have a say.
0: That's that's pretty You tough. are
1: assigned from central office. So, you know, the principal kind of looks up at me. He's like, I didn't hire you. I can't fire you. Don't cause me any problems. And we'll get along just fine.
0: That were her words to me. So, it's a great welcome uh, welcome speech.
1: Oh yeah, I mean it's like I'm ready to take the field now, right? Yeah, I'm um, ready to
0: fight for you on the front lines. Absolutely general, like let's go. <laughs> so,
1: you know, again, I mean you're you're a newly minted sort of, you know, college grad and you're like experiencing this and and then, you know, I started to sort of understand like the incentives that worked in this place, right? Like we were paid by how many years of experience we had, to how many years you've been teaching and what level of degree did you have? didn't matter if I was a, the best history teacher in the world. Um, I got paid what I got paid because of my age and experience. And so, you know, again, like as, as a professional, as a professional teacher, like what's my incentive to work harder or what's my incentive to like stay longer. And, um, you know, I'm certainly not being motivated by my welcome speech. And, and then furthermore, you know, you've got an environment where, you know, kids are sort of coming in and out and I don't have a functioning body that is you know rallying around supporting individual students students just kind of come to my class go to the next there's no structure around like who are they do we like understand their profiles and what they need are we like working as teams none of that existed um and so you know and then i started to hear from other sort of colleagues that were were in teach for america or other like teachers i'd met about their experiences and again you hear stories of you know people aren't being paid missing paychecks you um, you know, the violence, right? That you would have teachers attacked or whatever. And you don't feel like you get support uh, from a safety concern. Kids disappear for months and then show back up, and you're like, "You've missed two months of school. Like,
0: where you been? Are,
1: where you been? Right? You know, you call call home and you don't have a working number, or families moved around a lot, so you don't have a good address. I mean, y- you just felt like this was pure chaos. Um, and again, our mission was allegedly to help these kids find world-changing, life-changing opportunity. And we were just struggling to like get them in the building and and feel like whatever I'm doing in my classroom is going to carry over to the next and the next. And as this bigger team, we are preparing these kids to have a better life than their parents did have really that American dream, which is what I think we all want, which and what I know my parents wanted for me, even though they didn't know how to kind of advise me, they they still supported and rooted me on Were like, we want you to do better than we did. That's our job. That's what I want my job to be. So, right. yeah, it became a very both, you know, demoralizing from that sense of understanding, wow, we've got a really broken system, to then also seeing and being inspired by, you know, the kids I coached um, you know, kids that, that, you know, I would work with one-on-one in tutoring in school. And so you saw this world where, um, there really were awesome opportunities to change lives, but I, but I was just so frustrated that we, you know, on a macro scale, uh, we were failing way too many kids.
0: Yeah. And you're not able to, I mean, see any type of improvement as well. When you have a teacher base, that's just driven like, well, I get paid this much in year 1, year 2, year 3, year 4 regardless of performance. I mean, if I tell somebody in any business, yeah. However long you're here, your paycheck will increase. We don't care what you perform. Like where where is any motivation? Where is any drive? Where is any sense of we reward accomplishments? We have a we have a bar that we expect you to meet. Like there's no when you give no expectations, you get nothing in return. Yeah. And so that just it baffles me that an organization is able to say here's how we're going to operate. Good luck. Yeah. Thank you so very much to Building 5 for the becoming the latest sponsor of the Patty G show. We are going to be filming once a month at Building 5. We're going to post about it on our socials so you can come and visit with us. Building 5 is an excellent Food establishment, if you're into sharing boards and really getting a creative menu, Misty and Brumby have done an excellent job of creating an environment that's warm, welcoming, inviting for every single occasion. Go on over to Building 5 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and tell them that the Patty G Show sent you.
1: Yeah. And look, I don't think, you know, most teachers. They don't join you. Don't join the teaching profession. You don't join it for that. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, you obviously you're you're there and motivated, but but I can just imagine, and I heard this from tons of colleagues of how sort of worn down it gets when you feel like, man, I'm spending my extra money, my own money, to like buy supplies and materials. I'm staying after because I believe in these kids. I'm you know, dealing with the constant turnover of leadership because the kids matter. Well, you do that year after year after year. At some point, you like, I'm not getting any support. So it that becomes demoralizing. And so we, we build this profession in a way that doesn't actually support the frontline people. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, that to me was a huge structural challenge. Like the greatest asset you've got in the education system are these people that join because they want to change kids' lives. So we've got to build a system around them that really empowers and rewards them and supports them to do that. And and that was not happening in New Orleans. And so, you know, I I, I taught for a couple of years and then, you know, we had one of the biggest natural disasters ever strike the U.S. in Katrina. And, you know, you and all of the listeners here know the story. I mean, it, it totally um you know broke that city and broke that system and you know in in many ways that was probably the best thing that could have happened to the orleans parish school system
0: yeah it was able to say (laughs) we're gonna flood you and give you a new starting point give you a new place to kind of figure out what needs to happen and pick up some pieces while devastating and tragic kind of only opened up opportunity
1: yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, we absolutely, we responded as a, as a city. I think that's one of the things New Orleans really got right or put itself in position to begin to get right. Uh, you know, like you said, I mean, nobody wishes that on anyone. Right. And it was tragic. And you know, the 2000 plus lives that were lost as a result of it was, was awful. Um, you know, I, I try to think back to like that time. I, I think I was truly like in this fog until about Thanksgiving. Um, but i I was able to come back to the city uh, and I picked up teaching in uh, St. John, uh, the Baptist Parish uh, at East St. John High School. And you know we had hundreds of evacuee students that were coming in, and and again this was kind of a really chaotic period because kids would be there one day and the next maybe they were joining family or they were moving on and kind of figuring out where they were going to go. And this was really before I mean cell phones had just kind of come in and certainly were not ubiquitous. So you know you've got this sort of you don't know where kids are going, you're kind of losing track. Um, but but you know in those months and then ultimately years later. Um, that really was the foundation for the city getting a chance to say, well, how would we design this differently? How would we set up a system so that we do create the right incentives, so that we do support families? And they built a city that was not about, you know, you, you're you assigned to a school based on where you live. It was really let's empower families to go to schools that they choose, that fits whatever their kid needs. Let's set up a system where schools only stay in business if they're performing well academically if they're getting good graduation rates and if families actually want to go to those schools if they don't do not pass go and let's allow principals to hire and fire whomever they want let's allow them to pay folks whoever they want and again if they make really smart decisions and hire the right people and motivate them as a team then that school is going to keep thriving it's going to attract more students it's going to perform well it's going to stay in business and, and that system went from when I was teaching probably in an F of an F to about a C where today you have more students graduating than ever before. You have more college going students than ever before. Um, you have better outcomes across the board. And I think that's a really inspiring thing that took a lot of hard work over the decade following Katrina.
0: Yeah. And I mean, people may, may hear that and say well, they went from an F. to a C, but it's like, exactly. They went from an F to a C. They improved. Now we're, we're we're passing, as they call it. You know, they're, they're able to pass a grade. They're not continuing to fail. There's always still room for improvement there. But, to see that much of an improvement is absolutely amazing. Yeah. The Patty G Show is proudly brought to you by Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry. Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry is a local business right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They create handcrafted jewelry for everyday use, that special occasion, whatever it may be. Gentlemen, they've got amazing jewelry both for male and female. Everyone is their audience. You know, after years of experimenting with everything from ceramic jewelry, glass beads, and enamel, they've settled in on the ancient art of. Of lost wax casting is their main form of creating their work. They cast everything in bronze, sterling silver, and 14-karat gold. Every step of the way is done here right in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Proud, proud sponsors of the Patty G Show, Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelers. Get out there and tell them that Patty G sent you, and they're going to take great care of you on your next order.
1: And, and build a city with an expectation about, like, again, families regardless of what's in your bank account or what zip code you live in you have agency like you have the opportunity to go to any school you want um and then they run lotteries and things like that you you know as as a education entrepreneur as a great like history or math teacher like i know i'm really really good at what i do you know and again not that i'm motivated per se by money but like I can go to a school where I know that like my efforts are gonna be matched by my colleague or I'm gonna get support so that, you know, again, we're, we're looking out for that kid that's not there for two or three days in a row. Other colleagues are like flagging that and we're on top of it as a team to get him or her back to our, our school building. So I just think you, you built this culture where they like expect better and they know that like if we don't get results, we have to move in a different direction Uh, a culture of kind of continuous improvement. And, um, you know, that's pretty remarkable. And so the question to me kind of in those years later was, you know, does it take a hurricane? Does it take like literally flooding an entire city to have any opportunity to kind of remake our public institutions or to get better outcomes like that? It certainly shouldn't be the case. Yeah, right. I mean, that that would be the most demoralizing (laughs) answer we could ever have, right? Like god knows that shouldn't take that so you know what what can we do and that's that's kind of what i dedicated you know the the next part of my career to was how do we how do we understand these systems and how do we remake them without these cataclysmic kind of events um because that's that's not the way we're not we're not waiting around for for a hurricane
0: yeah so recognizing that that just shouldn't be the case where Natural disasters or significant societal impacts have to foster opportunity. What was that next part of your career that really kind of opened your eyes to? There's got to be a better way.
1: Yeah, so I took I took a little side detour. I uh, went to grad school, um, and I went to um, the Kennedy School of Government, which is focused on public policy and government. And you know what was so awesome about that experience is. You have the sort of practitioners, you know, the people that have been the commerce secretary or have been a governor of a state or a mayor, and and these were our professors. So you're learning about the sort of, you know, the the theory and the sort of uh, practice of public policy, but you're also hearing from the people who were in the room, uh, and sort of give you sort of real taste of how this happens, and so. Um, and I, and I made that decision really because after Katrina, you know, I knew I had this really frustrated feeling like a lot of people of our government leaders, um, our mayor's governor at the time. I mean, we, 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 looked helpless and, and yes, I mean, it was an outsized event that, you know, who could have predicted and been prepared for, but at the same time, like if you put yourself in that position to be an elected official at that level, um, that reaction and that sort of helplessness in in the days and moments and weeks after, um, unacceptable, right? right? And to allow, to your point earlier, like the status quo to go on that long and not be sort of shouting from the rooftop that like this is unacceptable and we're going to do something about it, like shame on you. And so I, I really felt, again, this calling of – like, I wanted to not be in that position, certainly as an educator or as a citizen in the state. And and so I wanted to go and sort of understand, like, well, what does it look like to have the best in class government practices? What does it take to really reform? And certainly others are confronting the same issues we were in New Orleans, not just in education crime and housing and all this stuff. So let me go learn that. And after that experience, I got sort of that was my master's degree. I, I was basically got a Ph.D. through the White House Fellows program, um, which, again, I had a professor that pushed me into applying for this, and um, he had been a White House fellow back at the sort of beginning. It started in 1963 under uh, President Johnson, and every year the idea was to take 11 to 19 uh, citizens and allow them to spend a year in the president's leadership program. And so you would spend the year both in a work setting where you're partnered with a cabinet secretary or a senior White House official. Um, there's an education program where you have the opportunity to have lunches and dinners and meetings as a, as a sort of a, a fellows class with uh, world leaders, um, government leaders, business leaders, etc. Um, and then you have the chance to actually travel and and you know understand kind of like governmental practice and service on the ground. So, I was there at the end of the Bush administration uh, with Secretary Gates at the Department of Defense. And so I'm I'm now far from Shreveport or upstate
0: yeah, Louisiana. You're very uh,
1: upstate now. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and so you know here we were. Um, I was traveling the world with with the secretary, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan multiple times. And, and really understanding firsthand what it means to sort of pull the levers of power, of, of government, of the ability to, in this case, I mean, literally defend freedom across the globe, right? Protect our national security and interests. I, I was had a front row seat as sort of seeing how the person charged with doing that or making recommendations to the president every day how he managed that. Um, and again, I mean, life-changing, humbling experience that, that motivated me to wanna come back home and, and get involved in working on the issues that you know, affected my family back in Shreveport, affected the, you know, the kids and families back in New Orleans. Uh, and so ultimately, after a, a little more than a year of that, the fellowship's a year long, and I stayed a little bit um, extra, but, but the idea was to, to ultimately come home uh, and be a part of of helping Louisiana not be at the bottom of all the good lists. Right.
0: Thank you to Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest. We love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear how they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove, concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life, shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. So then you're your ultimate goal of getting back here led you back to Baton Rouge? Sort of. Um, I I came back, so I moved back to New Orleans. Uh, My wife
1: and I went, uh, uh, were there because, you know, again, New Orleans was the city that, um, like, had my heart at that point. That's where I'd spent most of my adult life. Um, But I had met our state superintendent at the time, a guy named Paul Pastorek. And and when I tell you, you know, I just worked for the Secretary of Defense who was a um, a very sort of quiet leader. Um, you know he's reserved, He's very, you know, um, a thoughtful kind of with his words and and uh, measured, you know, but such an incredible presence. I go to a leader, Paul Pastorek, who is um, I mean incredibly intelligent, but just has fire in the belly and does not suffer low expectations does not suffer sort of mediocrity well. And, you know, when I met him, my first sort of day on the job, we go over to this um, uh, sort of business round table in St. Tammany Parish. And Paul gets up at this, you know, know, it's almost like a Rotary Club or something, right? right? So he gets up and everybody wants to be self-congratulatory, St. Tammany's top 10 school district in the state. And Paul gets up and you know everybody's thinking, oh wow, we know we're, we're doing so well. He's gonna yeah. like we're gonna get pass a pat him on back, the back,
0: you know? out percent yeah.
1: Attaboy. He gets up and he's like, you know what? He's like, you are top 10 in Louisiana. Do you know what that makes you in the rest of this country? He's like, you're basically a C. And the gas, the audible, like,
0: <gasps> no.
1: You know, he said the thing out loud. And I mean, people just went nuts, right? They're just and and the phone calls after and the emails of, you know, how dare he? And and you know, again, Paul was not on a mission to sort of you know make friends, right? Paul was on a mission during his period of leadership to really shake the state awake, yeah, and was to call out what like President Bush had done, this sort of you know, the low expectations environment, right? The soft bigotry of low expectations. This idea that like we're, we're really, by not telling the truth, we're actually killing our kids. We're denying them the American dream that so many other people before us fought, died for, gave us, right? The greatest generation. And here we are congratulating ourselves for being not even the best in a state that was at the bottom of the nation. And, and I think that was this sort of moment to me of like, all right, like I'm, I've found it. Like I know exactly what I'm supposed to do because it was that combination of like, I'd been through it. I'd lived it. I would felt the pain of my students, the pain of loss, not knowing where they ended up knowing that like, you know, the, the time I had with them, like we were really not giving them hope. Yeah. Most of the kids I taught read at about a fourth grade level. In high school? High school. Oh, 100%. And that wow. was that was like great if they were. Yeah. No joke. I mean, how angry that makes you, right? Of like, I, I can't, this kid's not going to college. Like, that's that's a lie. Um, so you face with this realities of like, what do I tell this kid, right? How do I get them to just being like alive in a city that the murder rate at the time and, you know, the early 2000s is skyrocketing. Um, how do I help them just live a productive life to then going and sitting, you know, in the Oval Office multiple times and thinking like how the levers of power are moved. It's now being back and realizing, all right, like we're a state that has so much potential and, and you know, most of the people in this state don't recognize what's happened in this 10-year period from Katrina, they they don't see that like we had a moment to really do things fundamentally different, and most of the rest of the state totally ignored that because that's New Orleans, you yeah. know, and and I was seeing both the promise and opportunity that in at least in education was happening in that city with this sort of like self congratulatory, we're so great. It's like no, you're not. Like we're not actually doing the best we can for our kids. And that's hard to admit. I get that, you know, because that in some ways is maybe a self-indictment. Like I have failed, right? I, have, I haven't I have done the best job. But but that's not how I look at it. It's it, it's just a recognition of like, no, there's not. we're not blaming you. Like, let's just start from where we are and be honest. Like our kids really aren't being prepared to compete in the world. So what do we need to do to get them to that place?
0: Right. And I mean, it's a matter of at that time whenever they see we're top ten in our state, right? You can always figure out a way to narrow and channel the results and the base of who you're judging yourself on to become number one. Yeah. You can always tailor the, the initial input to say, well, out of this parish in this zip code in this part of downstate Louisiana. Where do we rank? Oh, we're number one. Okay, great. That's right. You know? That's right. But it's like, well, let's bring you to a national. Let's open right. your. Let's open that lens a little bit more and see where we really stack up. Yeah. Because your neighbors aren't just those in your state. Your neighbors are those in your country. And then when you look at the neighbors in your country, it's those in the surrounding countries. And it's like, where do we stack up on? We'll just go national. Let's yeah. not go global. Yeah. Let's just go national. Yeah. Where do we measure? Where do we come up? And by holding ourselves accountable to a broader scale... Yeah. I think it challenges and pushes us more and gives the kids the best chance they can have.
1: 100%. I mean, again, like in, in our parents' generation, you know, a high school degree. I mean, my dad never graduated high school. Um, yeah. Went back and got his GED eventually. But like that, that I mean, you could still have a sustainable life. You know, you you could still kind of get by. You know, you work hard. Like you pay your taxes and you go to church. Like you, you can like... You can make something. You can set up your life so your kids have better than you did, but like, that's not the reality. Certainly not in like two thousand, you know, three, two thousand four. That wasn't the reality in New Orleans, and and even today, like that, that's not sufficient. Like you've got to have a skill beyond high school. You've got to have some kind of credential or degree. Doesn't have to be four year college, but if you don't have a skill, you can't go there. And and too many of our kids, even graduating high school, I mean, we've we've done this. Last couple of years, we've been giving out waivers still because of COVID, where we're like telling kids, well, we're going to allow you to graduate, even though you can't pass a basic test of math, of literacy, we're still going to say you've graduated. We've lied to those kids.
0: Yeah, you, you've only, when, when you bring the qualifications down and you bring the bar of achievements down, you're only hurting those kids from really figuring out how great they can be. Totally. You know, you give me where that carrot is and I'll get that carrot, regardless of how low or how high you put it. You know, so if you tell me, oh, you did your best, you can't pass these tests, but you know what? Nowadays, it's like, we'll throw the word, we'll throw COVID in there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, it was, it was, this is a, this is a COVID situation. You know, beforehand... Like what what was used? You know, like what was acceptable? Was it just well, we got to keep these kids going through here? We got it. We can't keep. Well, can't keep an eighteen year old in sixth grade. You know, there
1: weren't standards. I mean, when we put letter grades, I and mean, one of the things I did when I was at the um, working for Paul Pastrick at the State Department of Education, uh, we created the policy to judge schools with letter grades. Very controversial, right? It it, it felt wrong. It felt mean. It felt hard. How dare you? Sort of malign those educators and that community by putting a D or an F on that school. And it's like, listen, that's, it's not the last thing I want to do is make anyone feel bad or blame them. Right. That's not the intent. The intent is that before when we told you on a 200 point scale that your school was a two star school or your school was a 98, you were like, oh, 98, that's pretty good. It's like, it's out of 200. Yeah. Like we, again, we're not communicating to parents, to the community, to politicians. We weren't being honest about how well we did. We also were not judging ourselves against the rest of the country. We were judging ourselves against ourselves. <laughs> so again, like, yes, yeah, St. Tammany, you were at the time top 10. That is, that is great in Louisiana. How does it stack in Texas or Florida or Massachusetts? Yeah. Like, are your kids, if they now go to a college classroom or they go apply for a job at, at some firm, like how are they going to compete there? Right. I mean, we're all into like football competing, but how are we out competing with our kids and having the best skills? And and again, in so many ways, the state produces some of the most um, just I- intuitive, innovative, like thinkers. I mean, you think about like our work in offshore oil and and drilling and. Um, You know, all the different ways like we have overcome, like with even we were talking about coastal, you know, wetland loss, like of how to like adapt and survive. Like our people are incredibly imaginative and innovative. But think about if that potential was channeled with sort of the structure of really high performing schools, high performing education, world class education. My God the force we could unleash, and we kind of have figured that out in football, right? Right. We figured out we get the best here and unleash them with the kind of program around some of our sports. Man, we're getting outsized impacts. Our pound-for-pound, per capita, like, athletes' potential, I mean, we show the hard work, the effort, the training, the support, right, of getting them to keep rising to a bigger carrot. We do that well athletically. How about we do that well in the other things of life? of making sure our people can get as much money as they can, making sure they can make a better life, right? And that's just where I feel like we have missed it. Uh, and and I saw that from like a policy and governmental standpoint is like, we, we we're still setting up these systems in a way that we're not like being honest They were not sort of telling really clearly, like, all right, this actually is an A, and an A means this school could compete with any school in America.
0: Yeah, and it means something at that point. Right,
1: and so you're like, oh, cool, like, that means something. This school's like a D. It's like, ooh, all right, we, like, okay, chamber, okay, mayor, okay, like, pastor, like, parent, okay, let's, let's, like, let's all get together. Like, what do we do for our kids? Because every parent wants to help their kids. Again, every educator wants – Kids succeed, but we got to set up the like fundamentals and the structure and the system in a way that like allows that to happen. And and back then we we just weren't even starting with the fundamentals. Like we weren't measuring right, we weren't telling the truth, um, and we certainly then didn't empower anyone—parents to teachers to administrators—to actually create change.
0: Yeah, we were looking for a way to make what they have done valuable and give them a pat on the back to kind of keep them moving but we didn't do anything to really challenge them and say you know here are the numbers here are the stats here's where you actually rank up this is not a you know it's going to be a low blow we're going to accept that but let's start working to improve this yeah let's start figuring out how we can become better
3: welcome to the brand new felia mobile app we took all the same tech that's helped hundreds of people sell their homes themselves and packed it into an easy to use app for your phone. When you download the Fly mobile app on either the Apple or Android app store, you'll immediately be able to see the power of this game changing tool. From the seller's dashboard, you can navigate to all the information that you need. We intentionally separated everything into key groups, such as tasks to be completed, buyer leads for your listing, and contact information for everyone involved through closing. When you get an offer on your property, you can simply review and respond all within the app. No matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to monitor everything that's going on with your property from listed to sold. It's truly the power of in the palm of your hand. Download the app and see for yourself. Faliah, it's real estate reimagined.
0: And so within that, you had a transition from the New Orleans area to the Baton Rouge area where you did something with this new schools of Baton Rouge.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I got to this place where it really was about how do we prove it doesn't take a hurricane to create fundamental change in education? And, um, you know, I just, again, saw this wide gulf between what like Shreveport and people upstate were experiencing with what I knew to be true in, in New Orleans. And, you know, here, this is where I meet the Baton Rouge Area Foundation. Um, I had the chance, you know, they, they I, I met John Davies and John Spain uh, who were leading the foundation and they were very focused on, you know, we know our schools are not good enough uh, they're not performing the way they should for all kids because in Baton Rouge you had this sort of again, two-tiered system. If you were wealthy and well informed, you were in a magnet school, you were in a private or parochial school. Um, if for some reason you couldn't access that, you were going to your neighborhood school. You were getting on a bus and let's hope the bus situation is resolved now in EBR, but that's another story. Um, so I, I you know, and and again, we saw very divergent outcomes. Um, where some kids were getting daily life-changing opportunities and others were really being confined to the same sort of, you know, spiral that had happened to their families generation after generation. And and what's going to change that? And so the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, you know, knew the problem. Uh, they didn't necessarily know the solution. And, and I was talking to them about this idea of like, you know, what, what if we built an organization whose sole job was to sort of act like the Chamber of Commerce, but for schools. And so what we're going to try to do is go attract the best schools in the country to come to Baton Rouge. We're going to go to the best schools in our own region and state, our best educators and say, what would it get for you to leave this school and start your own? You know, we believe in you. And so it became this effort over a decade where we really were attracting really proven high quality schools we were partnering with local educators that had great ideas and they had great track records and saying, what can we do to sort of put resources and capital behind you? Same way you would have sort of starting small businesses. I mean, that's kind of the translation here. And and set up the system to where the only way these schools would stay in existence is if they perform well academically and if parents pick them. Seems like a pretty good like accountability system to me. Right, like If you can't get customers and... Your product doesn't work. Guess what's going to happen?
0: You're going to go, go to business.
1: Yeah. So let's do that, right? Let's build a system like that. And and so we've we've brought some amazing and diverse schools to this community. And so I spent ten years, you know, working with a lot of community leaders, parents, educators, and and together, you know, we've now created. I mean, it's somewhere close to, you know, two dozen schools. Serving, uh, you know, over twelve thousand kids in the city um, who otherwise did not have these options ten years ago, yeah. and and so what you're now seeing in the city of Baton Rouge is actually one of the most diverse and accessible school systems in the entire country. We've gone from like a one size fits all school system, public school system, to now a system of schools to where every family's got a choice now. You can go pay for a private school. You can choose to attend a free tuition-free public charter school. You can choose to go attend a a public magnet school. Any of those options are available to you. And what works in this system is that, again, if they don't perform or if families don't believe in them, they're going to go out of business. And so over time, we're creating this kind of virtuous cycle where We are unlocking more and more high-quality options. And we've seen this in a lot of recent surveys of families. You know, people in our age demographic feel more bullish on public education than they ever have in this city. We have more middle-income families, more white families, which I'm just using as a proxy of, like, belief in the system uh, because it was largely a, a system of students of color of students who were growing up in low-income backgrounds, like that has now shifted to where you've got a sort of system where like all walks of life are attending school next to each other. And that's what is fundamental to building a better society. Yeah. You, and, you, and so that's, I'm, you know, super proud of that that decade of work.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you got to have a place where just as our state is a melting pot of people, the schools have to be a melting pot of people. You yeah. have to be representative of who is in the community, who is in the area, and... Make sure that everybody knows, oh, we're going to go to that school because it's a great school, period, end of story. Right. It doesn't matter. It's not about force busing. It it doesn't matter. Any of that. It doesn't matter if it's public, private, whatever it may be. It's we're going to go to the best school and send our kids to the best possible school, whatever that may be. That's right. And having that as the goal, having that as a driving force is going to go beyond, oh, well, we live in this area. We're just going to go to that school. Yeah, well, no, we've got options now.
1: And and you've got dozens of schools in Baton Rouge now that have wait lists in the thousands. Really? In the thousands. I mean, the number of families that want to get into Basis, the number of families that want to get into Baton Rouge High or Liberty. I mean, you've got wait lists in the hundreds and in some cases in thousands of families that want to go to these schools. And so, you know, again, now I think when you see those kind of numbers – the obvious answer is like, well, let's open up more of those schools. We're working with some of our friends who hold the power to authorize more schools to do that. But again, the the market is telling you what it wants. Yeah. So let's respond to that as governmental leaders, as political leaders. And so um, it it's you know it's pretty remarkable. And I think when people take a step back, that's one of those things in Baton Rouge that we need to be really proud about. Is that um, you know again we're not all the way there. You know, we still have a lot of schools. We've got, you know, probably close to three dozen schools, public schools still in Baton Rouge that have a F or a D letter grade, which means the vast majority of kids cannot read or do math on grade level. They're not graduating a majority of their kids. Um, These are buildings that also happen to be extremely old or kind of crumbling and falling apart. Um, And they happen to be under-enrolled. A lot of these schools have about 50% utilization of their building. So, again, we've got schools that something needs to be done about with them. Um, I could think of a pretty quick and easy way to cut that problem in half. But, you know, be that as it may, um, we, are, we are on a path that this city every year, if we just keep expanding schools that kids want and families want, if we reward schools and expand them that are performing well, if we take action on the ones that aren't, then we are going to find ourselves that one day it really could be. It does not matter where you live. Every school in Baton Rouge is going to be one that creates life-changing opportunities for you. That is possible here and we're showing it You know, slowly. It's, yeah. it's going to take time, but we're doing it without the natural disaster, which is what most
0: places are going to go through. And having that, stronghold and that push to strive and do better is already a great thing. Yeah. Because you're not sitting around saying, well, it is what it is. We just kind of have to get by. Yeah, you don't really want to send your kids to that school, but it's just kind of there and is, is a good fallback option. You know, you want it to be to the point where it doesn't matter where you live. You've got a great school within your area that you can get your kids to.
2: Yeah. You well, know? Like- There's
0: other states have it. Totally. We have to get up to that bar. Yeah. That's the bar we have to get to. We have to strive to say, look, it doesn't matter where you live in our city or within our state, your kids are within driving distance or walking distance to a great school. And it may take, you know, a couple more decades to get there, but like that's the bar we've got to strive for. Not just to say, well, we're in the top 20 of our state. No, that's no longer acceptable. Right. You know, with the ease of technology, And the vehicles leaving the state with people in them to move elsewhere, we don't have that luxury anymore. We don't have the luxury of comparing ourselves to ourselves. We have to compare ourselves to the neighbors and where we're losing people. That's the only way we can retain and attract folks to come here. And it's a big, big part of that is the education piece. Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you are looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology – they are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners. So, with what you're doing and up. have done in the last decade with new schools of with new schools of Baton Rouge, how has that kind of shifted in what your current role is with the Baton Rouge Area Foundation?
1: Yeah, no, I see, your your koozie here. Absolutely, um, it's a great it great looking koozie. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah well, we're <laughs> traded um, the. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, again, I, I did not see, I was, um, I was fired up about the mission I was working on and, um, you know, really during COVID, even though we were making such good progress, uh, when we came back after that, of having that kind of lost time, um, we like everywhere in the country, you could see it in the data, all of our students took a step back. Right. And so, you know, again, education is just a, you know, one part of kind of the the puzzle here in creating a city that that really could be the best version of itself, um, and 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 so you know, I just really it gets back to this like, you know, if we're just working on that, there's so many other things. And I saw this when I was teaching that can impact a kid's life, their home environment, right? Uh, whether there's abuse or there's struggles at home financially, the safety in their neighborhoods. Um, what comes on the other side, right? So, okay, cool. So I've left, you know, I got my diploma. I did all the things I was supposed to do. Maybe I wasn't as prepared. What's my next opportunity to get a high paying, well-paying job. And so, you know, that, that sort of experience of seeing that, you know, pieces, families aren't in pieces and parts. They're really, there's this more holistic opportunity kind of timed up with, um, uh, we had a transition of the Baton Rouge Foundation and they were looking for a new CEO after 30-plus years. And and so I, I really felt like I had a front-row seat to the foundation because it was such a huge propeller for me and New Schools for Baton Rouge and the entire effort to create better educational options in this community um, that I was like, this is a platform and a vehicle that, you know, if I was thinking about this for 10 years, just the education piece, how does it translate to the other issues in our community that really define whether we're creating more opportunities or not? And and so uh, was really you know privileged to to be selected uh, as a CEO started about a year and a half ago, and you know step into this nearly sixty year old incredible organization uh, that just had, had really kind of come from from you know a dozen civic leaders that got together and said, you know what, instead of sort of giving on our own and trying to affect change our own, we got to come together, kind of pool our resources and and give for a bigger and higher order change. So, so, you know, by ourselves, you know, we can get this much done, but together, you know, our pie can be much bigger. And so stepping into kind of that organization and thinking about, you know, all the sort of opportunities and challenges in front of Baton Rouge,
0: uh, couldn't pass up the chance to throw
1: my name in the hat. And and again, just really grateful to be there.
0: Yeah, and now you're working on different initiatives throughout the year. You've got a lot of similar but different interests within the organization between New Schools of Baton Rouge and, and BRAF. So what are some kind of key initiatives y'all are focusing on at this time?
1: Yeah, so, so I really think about, you know, again, what what are we leaving to our children? Um, when I arrived at BRAF, we do an annual survey called City Stats. So we measure basically um, how do people feel about the direction of Baton Rouge. What are people worried about? Um, what are they hopeful about? Um, and and how does that kind of mesh with what the data actually show? How are we doing as a people? And there was one question we'd asked uh, right before I arrived, and so I get these results, and the question was basically. Um, Is this a city that when your kids grow up, you would encourage them to come back to and make a life? Like, is this a place that you'd say when they ask you advice, should I move and take this job in Dallas, you know, after college or whatever? Or should I, you know, go to California or Florida or Texas? Or should I stay here in Baton Rouge and find a job here? What are you going to say to your son or daughter? And for the first time since we'd been taking the poll a majority of parents said they would tell their kids to leave. A majority said they majority. would tell So we're not talking
0: 10 or 20%. We're talking a majority. A majority here. said wow. we would tell our kids to leave,
1: to be one of those cars packing up and leaving. And probably worse, you know, the parent or the grandparents probably saying, you know what? I'm going where they're going because that's where my grandkids are. I want to be closer to them. So if we think that about ourselves, right? And you start asking the question, why is it that you would tell your kid, don't come back here? You know, and again, I'm not talking about where you go to college. I'm talking right. about they're, they're sort of adults and they're weighing like, you know, mom, dad, like, man, I'm just struggling. I feel maybe this urge and calling to come back home. Should I? And you're like, no, don't do it. I think that's the, that's the fundamental question for all of us. This needs to be a community where that question isn't even asked. Right. It's so obvious that the place that you can do the most for your family, that you can propel then your own kids to have a better life, is to raise them here. That, that ought to just be a matter of fact. And, and so for me, it really just cemented like, what what does the Baton Jerry Foundation exist for? You know, its whole purpose was originally these dozen folks said, if we band together, we can help tackle our biggest challenges because we're working together, because we're pooling our philanthropic resources. We're giving not just to, for the sake of giving, we're giving to effect change. There's some strategy. There's some idea of like, I'm putting money behind this because it's going to lead to a different outcome. And, and that whole idea, I think you can see it over 60 years has played out in various ways. But I, I really saw this chance to kind of crystallize it around what we're calling the opportunity agenda, which is what are those measures about whether you have more opportunity or less? What are those things in life that if you have access to this or if you have access to that, your chances of living a better life than your parents did, your chances of, of having more doors open to you are greater than not. And and so we, we really sort of cemented around these kind of six pillars that reflect opportunity, and they're not rocket science. We're talking about, you know, whether you grow up in healthy families, safe neighborhoods, quality, you know, education. Like, these are very basic things, but I think where the strategy gets really interesting is you know, what we're doing at BRAF is um, is really measuring, well, how are we doing today? So again, let's let's be truth tellers. And it's not to blame. It's not to criticize. It really is to just say like, all right, let's be honest with ourselves. Where, where are we not affording more opportunity to our citizens than maybe we should be? Okay. So now we've been honest. Well, then what can we do about it? Well, the great thing about our country is you've got, just like we did in education, you've got Hundreds of examples around this country where somebody has been working on helping people get more home ownership than being tenants or bounced around, or working on early childhood education, or working to cut the murder rate in half, right? You you can go see other places that have tried things, and we can then learn from that and adapt it to Baton Rouge. And so what I want Brath to really do from a civic leadership and impact perspective is, is be a source that You know, we're going to have this sort of analysis on where we are and some thoughts on where we could go and really offer that to community leaders, to nonprofits, to, you know, politicians, government leaders of like, these are the issues we ought to be focused on. Because if we work on these for a decade, like we've been doing on K through 12 education options, you know, imagine the incremental change we're going to be making that when you look back over a decade, you're like, wow. You know, we went from no kids having sort of options to like tens of thousands of families being able to pick any school they want and not have to worry about how it's doing academically. Yeah. Well, what if we do that on housing? What if we do that in early childhood? What if we do that in safety, right? And so that, that's really what kind of has crystallized for me, this agenda, because I think if we work on those things, you create a city where there is more opportunity, where it's much more obvious, where nobody even has to ask the question, will our kids come back here? Come on, sir. You got
0: to get that. One. You got to get that one, sir. You got to get that one dialed <laughs> it's in. It's got to be obvious. Yeah, that. it's hundred percent. It has to be the majority, if not unanimous, I would have my kids come live here. I would encourage yeah. them to stay here. I would encourage them to raise their kids here because of how great the community is. And so within your, you know, initial stint here as the Battery Air Foundation CEO, you've kind of started seeing that, you know, you have experience, you're coming in all, f- all systems ago, and you're doing what you can to make that happen. I'm really excited to see what you are able to do with the organization and where the foundation is able to take things. So, as we begin to kind of wrap down on a high note of yeah. excitement and anticipation for what's to come, I'd, we do have to ask you some very hard hitting questions. Okay. Some very pounding, you know, really thought provoking questions. So, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today?
1: So, um, Growing up, my uh, grandmother, uh, she had three sisters, one of whom lived on um, sort of a, a farm on the county line between, yeah, this is upstate.
0: County? Y'all use counties up there? Well,
1: county line of Texas is in Bethany, Louisiana. So okay. technically, she lived in Bethany, Texas. Uh, in the ca- okay, in that county. Uh, and yeah. Brownie was her name uh, aunt Brownie. Uh, so they lived on the Texas side. Um, but, but they had this old sort of, um, it was sort of like a gas station corner store kind of at the front of their property. And then they had some land where they had cattle and other things. And I remember as a kid, me and my cousins would go out there. Uh, my grandmother would take us for the weekend and, you know, we would just roam and explore. And at this point the, the corner store had been, basically boarded up and abandoned and so it was like one of these like spooky old kind of things where you just go find treasure you know you get to explore and the land you know i can't remember how many acres it was it was you know a few dozen or so able to just kind of run around and 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 get into mischief and whatever and like you know that that you know that she passed away some years later but um we we get to do that and and i think so much of just like the excitement and the freedom as a kid to sort of go out on a weekend and say, go explore this kind of place is yours. Don't cross the road. You know, that's, that's kind of the only boundary, right? right. It's like
0: don't cross the road. And when the street lights are on, you better be home. Yeah. Well, then have streetlights <laughs>
1: there, but it's basically that. And like, and, and that freedom to sort of dream and explore and, and kind of figure things out. Um, I, I wish more of us had those opportunities.
0: Yeah. And it's that, Freeness of just open spaces and the ability to kind of go run crazy and wild as a kid, yeah, is something that you lose as an adult. You know, if you see an adult running through a pasture, <laughs> looking like they're just having the time of their life, you start to ask yourself different questions.
1: There go your weekend plans, right? Right. Know, that's, yeah.
0: That's don't tell people what I do on the weekends. All right. <laughs> so, you know, once we get that dive in. I want to kind of take a step back and have you think about your career as a whole and really what are like three lessons you've gathered along the way thus far?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, one, we, we kind of talked about it today. Uh, I think this ability to tell the truth, kind of acknowledge where you are, but but also aspire where you should be um, I've seen that and in, in, in really amazing leaders I've been able to work for, uh, not my first principal. Um, but I mean, you know Secretary Gates, Paul Pastorek, I mean, these people that were were willing to acknowledge realities on the battlefield or in our classrooms, but also set these super high standards um, and and set this kind of vision of of where we ought to go. I think I think that's really important. Um, I think another one is is really sort of having a sense of empathy and understanding the problem you're working on. Um, you know, I think it's really easy today and we certainly see this in politics. People want to divide you and put you into camps and and really kind of take an incredibly complex issue and boil it down to a 30-second soundbite. And and again, I mean, we've talked about this on like the education front. <clears throat> Every parent, wants their kid to succeed every educator like gets in because they want kids to succeed but things happen along the way that make that challenging and complex um and i just think acknowledging the seriousness of what we're going through maybe that's tied a little to truth telling but but you know i i just encourage people if you really want to get in and solve a problem you got to spend a lot of time on that what's the old einstein quote right like Spend ninety percent on defining the problem, mm-hmm. like and maybe the solution is then just obvious. But like we we really ground ourselves in that, and so I try to do that at BRAF. Is is when we're working on this kind of opportunity agenda, of like what is what is our civic leadership and impact work going to look like? Where we take on these really hairy, meaty challenges over, say, a decade. Like we've really got to get in and understand. It's not a ubiquitous like north versus south Baton Rouge. It's not as if there are no good things happening in North Baton Rouge. Actually, there's some pockets of extreme, like, progress and opportunity there. And what we need to be studying is, like, what's going on there that's not happening in the neighborhood next door. Right. And how – do you know what I mean? So it's like really having this sort of sense of empathy, curiosity about what is the nature of the problems and putting your hands and getting your hands really dirty kind of in understanding that. I think that's hugely valuable. Um, and then I, you know, I think third is like, like we're doing here today. I mean, don't take yourself too seriously. Uh, I think, you know, the, the seat I occupy again, I, I understand the, um, BRAF is an incredible organization. Like I didn't fully understand how big and sort of impactful it's been when I first arrived in Baton Rouge. And so I, I have a lot of like humility in, in what this organization has done and, and can do. And I understand like you know, my role is to, to be a steward of it. My role is to like help it have even more impact in the next decade than it did the last. And, and, and that's the sense of like, I'm not going to, you know, take myself so seriously that I can't also have fun and, and enjoy and recognize that like we we got to lend our time and talents to things bigger than us and also recognize we can't do it ourselves. So, you know, I, I, I've got people in my life that fortunately helped me, um, channel maybe that inner child again and that inner curiosity and and not take it so seriously because uh this work is hard it's not a straight line but i do think we can be working towards a much better baton rouge
0: yeah and i think collectively if we all do our part and we all kind of show this willingness to help in ways that each of us are uniquely able to we can kind of start to move that needle in the other way so with that what is something you love about Baton Rouge.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of in the season, right? Um I absolutely love um you know, football season here and, you know, games are great. Um and I even as a, a student at Tulane, I was smart enough to know if you're going to go see a football game, you go to, you know, Tiger Stadium.
0: I mean, y'all are doing uh, pretty well this year though. This is the second year in a row y'all are kind of
1: Yeah, Tulane's
0: I mean, kind of starting to work their way back up.
1: Sure, which is great. I and mean, the <laughs> worst mistake was leaving the SEC, right? Um right the best decision they've made in the last 20 years was to put the stadium on campus. So when I was there, we were playing in the Superdome. I went to like, um, you know, they got us all excited as freshmen. We go down, took us on buses to the Superdome for, it was like a Monday night game, kickoff game against, I think like Cincinnati or somebody. And I go in the dome. I was like, there have been more people for high school championship games in here, in here than <clears throat> now. I mean, I mean, that was the last sort of football game I'd gone to. So I think, you know, I, I just love that, like, there are things that bring us together that don't divide us into those camps I was talking about right. that remind us, like, how special we are. And and the thing about Louisiana, man, like, and the reason I love this place so much is our people, our love of life, our family, our friends, We we've got the, like, how to enjoy life part figured out In fact, we've got the secret sauce. If we could just marry that with unlocking more of the potential that we've like left on the sidelines, you know, because we've had some of these structures that haven't given the same opportunities to, to all the folks that, that want it and would work hard for it. Like, God, we, I mean, be unstoppable. Absolutely. So, so, you know, again, I, I just, I love those times because it really, The only thing that matters is the celebration of our culture, um, our friends, our families and something common that's like us against the world, you know, it's like that. whoever did that, like Louisiana versus all y'all like Louisiana versus y'all. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Love that.
0: And I think that we can rally behind it for sports. Let's figure out a way to get behind in the other elements of our city. Amen. And cuz we know we've got it in us.
3: It's like, right it's, we've it's, shown it.
0: It's in us. It's like in like it's bred yeah. into us. It's part of who we are as a society. Like let's just let's apply our enthusiasm for sports across the board. Amen. So for the final question, man, what can I do to help you?
1: Yeah, I mean, well look, I I just appreciate, you know, this this platform. Uh again, you're 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 reaching um such a diverse audience and really, you know, Um, promoting people that want to make Baton Rouge, want to make companies a better place for people in our region, like that's awesome. So kudos to you. Um, And, and, and I would just say, you know, I love the chance. I think this is such a great platform to kind of go maybe a little deeper on some of these issues, you know, and, and really um, if there's ever an opportunity to to, to bring folks that want to roll up their sleeves and talk more deeply about some of these hard challenges as we define this kind of opportunity agenda and, and get real about what it's going to take. What does it look like? And let's, let's bring, you know, sort of a diverse table together. Uh, I'd love to kind of keep going deeper because, you know, I know you're somebody that you want your kids to stay here and you're willing to put in and you're doing it every day. And so how do we promote to more people that, um, you know, you, you can do that. Everyone can participate in making the city better. And that's one of my goals at, at BRAF is that it belongs, really is your community foundation. It's everyone's community right. foundation. And, and let's have them figure out how they can use the foundation to help advance the causes that matter to them. And so I'd love to find a way that we could partner in, in getting that word out and having those conversations.
0: Yeah, I think we can figure something out. We can We can make something work. I know we know enough people to pull together an ability to make this happen. And if we have to sit in these these chairs again to do it, more the merrier. I mean, the drinks are good. So. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All local, too, you know. We're all, all supporting local. Right. Support and local. So That's right. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it, Pat. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time and what you're doing with BRAF. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. So thank you again for your time. Thanks, and thank man. you, uh, everybody else, for listening or watching to the show, whatever platform you're on. Look, if y'all are in the community, if you're in Louisiana... And you want to kind of get involved. You want to do something to help to where your response is, I want to keep my kids here. I want my kids' kids to stay here. Reach out to BRAF. Reach out to the show. Whatever you've got to do, let us know. We're more than willing to help and connect you with the right people. Or if you're one of those folks that are like, I don't want my kids to stay here, let us know the issues too. You send them to us, we'll coordinate you with BRAF or send them straight to Braff and let them know. Like We want to hear both sides. We want to hear why you want your kids to stay here. We want to hear why you don't want your kids to stay here. Because if we don't know the problem, we cannot put into place a solution. We don't know how to help. We don't know what to do if we're not aware of a problem that you're experiencing. Because we're all unique. We all live in different circumstances. We all have different life things happen to us. So we all don't know what you may be dealing with. I don't know what Chris is dealing with. Like We've got to come together in a way where we're getting our opinions and our voices out there. And we're starting to work together to curve whatever the negative things are within our city so we can do it. It's possible. It is just going to take time, y'all. So be sure to reach out to Braff. Reach out to us. We'll coordinate whatever way we can. Together, we can definitely make this city a better place for the tomorrow. So thank y'all so very much um, for listening to the Patty G Show and what we do here. We're looking forward to the next one. So we'll see y'all then. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center, with our Lady of the Lake Physicians group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you – signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy, you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future. There's no other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. McClavy's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply... A shirt that you need for one evening or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're gonna take care of you every step of the way and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you.